Welcome to the Better Questions Podcast, where we wrestle with hard questions and seek to ask better ones. Today's question comes in from Trevor. Trevor asked the question, I've heard you mention the term post-Christian culture a few times on your podcast. What does it mean to share your faith with someone who would identify as a non-believer in this post-Christian culture? Really good question. Uh, probably deserves a whole nother podcast to break down um, the complexities of post-Christian culture and what that means and its origins. Um, but we'll save that for maybe bringing on another guest to work through that. Uh, just a, a couple thoughts that immediately came to mind. Um, because sharing faith with someone um, in, in a, a culture where uh, things have shifted beyond it being a sort of a cultural popular thing to be Christian, right? There was a time where Christians had a moral majority, where where social issues, um, predominantly people would side with the Christian worldview. Now, that is no longer the case. There are a lot of shifts that have been happening in our culture where pastors were once revered and respected among uh, as a career and as a person, we're actually living in what people are calling the great resignation, where they're seeing more clergy and pastors resign uh, within a really small period of time. I think I read an article in The Atlantic. It was like within two years, there have been more resignations of clergy um, than in the last 10 years combined. So that tells you a little bit about uh, how things have shifted a bit. But I say all that to say... Um, when we talk about apologetics, so defending the faith, um, sharing the faith with those who might be skeptical or maybe uh, don't believe, I think that we, we do need to shift our thinking a little bit. I, I read a book by a guy named uh, Myron Penner. He wrote a book called The End of Apologetics. And one of his, his big ideas, and, I, and I'll try to summarize this without getting too deep in the weeds, but he, he aimed a place like edifying the person whom you're trying to persuade um, before you try to win the argument with reason-based argumentation. Okay, so um, he, he, he looked at like the classical apologetics approach. And, and I think there, let me, before I say anything more, let me say the classical apologetic approach um, was a big part of my growth as a Christian. I remember um, reading many apologists, William Lane Craig, among others, who took a very classical approach. In fact, I remember, if you're familiar with William Lane Craig's work, uh, he, he's a famous um, speaker and apologist and writer. He wrote uh, Reasonable Faith is probably his opus, and he uh, will, would debate atheists on a regular basis in public spaces, universities, etc. And I remember in reading a, a blog by a guy named The Friendly Atheist, and this, this guy, um, most people who would call themselves atheists have this sort of vitriol for William Lane Craig. And this guy says, look, I get why you hate him because he doesn't lose. And then he went on to, to show like 40 different debates that William Lane Craig, different atheists, and basically categorized them as William Lane Craig dominated, won, or it was a draw. But his, his, at the end, he kind of made this statement. He goes, I hate to say it as much as it kills me, but he's never lost a debate, which is kind of funny coming from an atheist blog. Um, 
I have a lot of respect for classical apologetics. One of the things that this book challenges is that the classical apologetic approach is less effective in a post-Christian culture. And um, sort of just the idea of a public debate moving the needle for people towards no faith to having faith does not seem to have the same effect. And he even, even goes far enough to say that it subtly undermines the very gospel to defend it um, and does not offer a good alternative to the skepticism and ultimate meaningless of the modern secular condition. And so his big thing is like when we do apologetics, we need to speak the truth of Christ while affirming the other person. And, and actually, um, I think he has a really strong point. Uh, I was reading another book. One of my favorite favorite reads of the last few years was Adam Grant's Think Again. And it's, it's all about um, changing people's minds. But in order to, to change someone's mind, he argues, you yourself need to be able to have your mind changed. And he actually... Um, does a really interesting thing. He, he breaks down um, sort of four approaches that we can take when we have, we want to have a discussion or we have to solve a problem with someone we disagree with. He says we can approach it like a preacher, a prosecutor, a politician, or a scientist. He says when we're in preacher mode, we're convinced we are right. I know it's not the best reputation for preachers. Um, when we're in prosecutor mode, we're trying to prove someone else wrong. When we're in politician mode, we're trying to win the approval of the audience. And what Grant contends is that if we approach people we disagree with, like a scientist, then we favor humility over pride and curiosity over conviction. And perhaps this is the best way to change someone's mind. You know, he argued, um, he wrote this book, uh, and, and it was really, I think, timely uh, during the 2020-2021 season, especially in the midst of a really contentious election, in the midst of a lot of people who are very polarized, both politically, but also on other sides of the debate, whether it was team mask or no mask, whether it was vaccines or no vaccines, whether it was conspiracy theories, you name it. And he essentially says, look, you see the person who disagrees with you and you see that person as an object to be one, you will never change their mind. If you don't see that person for their humanity and genuinely have concern for why they believe what they believe, you'll never change their mind. And that was pretty sobering. Because when we see someone who thinks differently, who maybe has a different view of God or a different view of the world, it is our posture of curiosity, truly trying to understand and ask more questions. Again, the theme of this podcast is better questions. I think our posture as Christians needs to be one where we seek to ask more questions and simply give people answers. Now, let me be clear. There are truths. There are absolute truths about Christ, about God, about the world. But I, I, I want to be careful when we approach those who um, are skeptical that we first have a posture of listening and understanding and showing that person that we care. 
It is through that, I believe, then we can ask the harder questions that may sort of stir up within someone thoughts about their humanity, about their mortality. Um, that's a question that I often, in, in conversations with skeptics, I wrestle with mortality and life and death and facing the reality that all of us will die. And not so much for the, the question of heaven and hell, which, again, is another critical question, but but even just just in like having our lives, wanting our lives to have meaning and purpose. Um, so yeah, these are just some baseline thoughts on um, living in a post-Christian culture. How do we how do we share our faith? I think we approach it with a posture of humility, one that seeks to ask questions first, seeks to understand first, and by showing that person that we care about their being and their humanity, perhaps we can show them the person who could ultimately change them and transform their life, Jesus. Thanks again for uh, joining me on Better Questions. Again, uh, you can ask questions at eastminster.org slash betterquestions. You can also send it into betterquestions at eastminster.org. Send an email. I would love to receive your questions. Our schedule's a little bit different. Uh, I'm busy with ordination exams. Don't those sound fun? Uh, for the next few weeks. So we'll just be releasing one episode a week, and then we will get back to our Monday, Thursday schedule in December, God willing. Thanks again for joining us. Grace and peace.